The other day I started out for a run and I had this really strange pain in my right knee. I've never had pain in my right knee. And runners like all sorts of other athletes are just used to this ache, this pain. But this one didn't feel right. It was like one of the bones in there just wasn't quite right. And it really hurt. So I'm like, okay, I have two options here. Um, I can keep running on it and assume that sooner or later everything will pop into place and be fine, or I could stop. I'm like, well, I'm not gonna give up. So I kept running and eventually whatever it was settled in and it was fine, but I'm like, wow. Huh, do I have to worry about my knees now? And then in addition to, you know, this latest malady, um, I've been watching the Olympics over the past couple of weeks, like many of you have, and I'm amazed at how they talk about these athletes that peak when they're 18 or 20 or 24. And there just seems like endless stories of athletic injuries. And this person came back from that. This person came back from this. And a number of star athletes from past Olympic games came back and they just couldn't match their performance of previous years. It seems like we all hit our peak physically at some point, but the peaks don't last very long. We start down the other side pretty quickly. It might be age related or it might just be related to no longer training at the level that you used to train at. It seems like we put all of these investments in our bodies and they certainly pay dividends. It's good for our health, all of that, but it just doesn't last forever. And sometimes it's not about athletic peaks. It's that our bodies surprise us and sometimes fail us. Maybe you get a terrible diagnosis or you just realize that things are gonna be different than you thought, that the life you thought you would lead would not be the way that you had planned because your body just can't handle that anymore. I've just been thinking about, particularly in the course of this sermon series, does anything last forever? How long do I get to run? Because it seems like it would be a good idea to invest in the things that will last forever. So this is our final week in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7-9, through 9, where we're talking about spiritual fitness goals. So let me just remind you of the passage. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical presence is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Uh, verse 9, another translation puts it this way. This is truth that you can trust and accept completely. Godliness has value for all things. The benefits of following Jesus will last forever, starting today. And that's a truth that you can trust and accept completely. And for many of us, at some level, we know that. Maybe you remember the missions trip that you went on where you served others and you experienced the presence of God. Or you can recall the camp experiences, the mountaintops, where you spent time with God and you thought, this is the way it's supposed to be. I want to live like this forever. Or you remember deep conversations with small group members or accountability partners or spiritual friends where you were known and accepted and it just resonated with your soul. This just felt right. And the thing with all of those, the thing with all truth is that you have to live into it. You came back from the mission strip. The camp ended. You haven't been able to connect with your small group for a while and life interrupts. We forget to live into the truth that we know, or we get busy, 
And I don't think it's so much that the memories get fuzzy as much as it is that we forget to recall them. And then when we do, we realize that we aren't where we wanted to be. We aren't living into the truth that we knew anymore. Or, or maybe your story is very different. Maybe you're just figuring out this Jesus thing. You've made some mistakes along the way and you recognize that God is in the process of fixing those things. You know your priorities need to shift, but you've finally found something that feels more real than anything else you've ever known. And it's become a lifeline to you. You can feel your life change. Your spouse and your friends and your kids see something different in you. And you know that you've tapped into something transformational. But you have to live into that truth too. We're all in the process of becoming something. And the effort that we put into godliness, into becoming like Jesus, is what will last. And what will have a lasting impact on our lives. Everything else will ultimately peak and fade away. In another letter, this time to the followers of Jesus in Corinth, Paul deals with this. So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10, skipping around a bit. Verse 1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Verse 5, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So Paul here is talking about the end game. He's skipping way ahead to give us a picture of the future that will pull us through from where we are now. That's kind of what hope does. It shows you a picture of the future, and that gives you enough to get there uh, through what you're dealing with now. So God is preparing us a place for us in heaven. And our understanding of heaven is not like heaven is up there and hell is down here and we're in the middle. Well, certainly that would have been uh, some people's cosmology for a time. W what we understand is that, that heaven is almost like a another dimension. Heaven is actually down here. Uh, God comes and that recreates the entire universe and dwells among us here. So heaven is not so much the location up there in the clouds. It's a place where everything is made right. And I love the picture that John paints in Revelation 21.1, where he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's heaven. When the old order is passed away, there are no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more death, there's no more decay, no more cancer, you name it. It's just everything is created back to the way that it was supposed to be. God is preparing a new order, a new place, and it all starts now. We can start living into the future that God has for us now. One of the great theological um, impacts on my life was by a guy named George Eldon Ladd. And one of the things that Ladd said was that we live in the already, but not yet. 
We have a taste of what is going on, and that's kind of this idea of the Holy Spirit as a deposit or a down payment, but it's not completely fulfilled yet. But we have enough to go on the already that can get us until the yet. And this is not escapism. This is not pie in the sky by and by. This is the reality of a new creation, of a new thing that God is doing. And it's not just by and by, it's here and now. And I think that there's a tremendous hope there. We're being prepared for something more than just this. And this is what we were actually made for, to live in that reality where there's no pain and death and people being mean to each other and war and disease and famine. We weren't meant to live in a fallen world. And so God is recreating a place for us. And as a down payment, he's given us the Holy Spirit. If people put money down on something, they generally are going to do it. And that's what God is saying to us. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit now, just so that you have a taste of what things might be in the future. There's more to come. There's more than just this place. And that's an important encouragement. The Spirit, the pledge from God, is the basis for believing that God has something better in store for us. And so what we have to do is choose whether or not we're going to live into that. Are we going to overinvest in things that are decaying and we can't necessarily count on? Or will we invest in things that will last forever? We're all becoming something. What are we becoming? Where are we investing in? Verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? There's, there's this idea of judgment in there. It's like, wait a minute. I, I thought our sins were forgiven. I thought we were justified by grace through faith alone. What's up with this? Well, yeah, all of that is true. Grace is grace. Your salvation is not in doubt. At the same time, there is a level of accountability for what you did and didn't do. The Bible's super clear about that. There are consequences for our actions. Jesus is not some cosmic get out of jail free card. There are consequences to what we do. But let's look at this at a different, maybe more helpful way. This is a reminder to live in response to what God has done for us. This is amazing grace. We sing about that all the time. We have this sense of wonder of what God has done, and that should cause us to want to respond in a certain way. We want to live in response to God's grace. We want to live in response to the joy we find in following Jesus. We want to be people who are living out of being forgiven and extending that to other people. That, that should change us. That should impact the choices that we make. There's also this sense that the more we engage with God, the greater the blessing of hope and joy and peace we experience. I, I think that's the better way to look at it. Not you're going to be judged for everything bad, but just a reminder to live in response to God so that you can experience more of the goodness of God in your life. So what will please God? It's actually not nearly as complicated as it might sound. Basically, it's getting to know him. That's where it all starts and ends. Learning to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
That's what God wants for us. That's what spiritual disciplines are all to help uh, facilitate us getting to know God better so that our lives are transformed. And over the course of the sermon series, we've tossed out some action points that would help us figure out what we are becoming and what we want to become. We've talked about setting some goals, some spiritual disciplines that then we can shoot for, that we can make manageable steps until we get to that goal that we believe God is calling us to set. We talked about doing a time audit so that you could go through and look at what you're really spending your time in your week on because the stuff that you spend the most time on, that's probably what's most important to you. We introduced the idea of fasting maybe from food, maybe from social media, but the idea from fasting was to take a break so that we could create space for God. We talked about being nourished by important things and not just eating junk food. And honestly, I haven't been able to look at goldfish crackers the same ever since. We've talked about acknowledging that it's okay not to be okay that we're in process and what we want to do is continually be growing. We talked about how we need to leave the past behind and moved forward. Those are all things that we've talked that will help us to set goals, to become more like Jesus, to experience the things that God wants us to have in our lives. I began by talking about health-related stuff and how that impacts us, but might not be health related, your life might just not turn out the way that you want it to or that you thought it would. It might not be a tragic circumstance or it could be. It might just be that you've invested your life into looking like this, fill in the blank. You know you'll be successful when you have this thing or when you have this job title or, or, or whatever. And if you don't get those things, then that becomes tragic. If it doesn't work out, you're devastated, and lots of times you're mad at God. It's totally different to say, I'm invested in having a deep connection with God because I know that the peace and the hope that I find there will last through whatever life throws at me. Over the last year and a half, a number of people in our congregation were in danger of losing their jobs or being furloughed. Some people actually lost their jobs or, or were furloughed. But I watched so many people with the loss of their job hanging over their head say, I'm not defined by my job. I'm defined by my relationship with God. And that completely changed their attitude, their outlook on life, and they were able to see God at work in ways that they, couldn't, they wouldn't have if they were simply defined by their job and the paycheck they brought home. But what would have happened if you hadn't done any groundwork ahead of time to invest in godliness? to invest in being a deep follower of Jesus so that when life threw us this curveball, you were prepared to go, I'm not the sum total of my job. I'm so much more than that. There's this show that one of my kids uh, told me about that I've been watching that's kind of fun. It's called Marriage or Mortgage. And basically what it is is that it's a couple and they have enough money saved up that they can do one of two things. They can either get married or they can buy a house together. And there, there's some ethical implications there because you know I think people should get married, we're in favor of marriage. For any number of reasons, I think marriage is the way to go. But go with me in the context of this, of this, of this story. So let's say the average couple comes in and they say to these people, we've got 30 grand and we can either have a, a wedding, the wedding of our dreams, or 
we can put a down payment and we can buy a house that will be with us for a, a lot longer than that. And even though I want everybody to be married, we've gone over that, don't send me letters. The point that I'm making is, it's astounding to me the number of people who will blow $30,000 on one day. That then means they can't buy a house. Now you got $30,000 and you can buy a house too. God bless you, spend all the money, invite me, I'd love to go to the party. But if you have to make that choice, I'm not sure blowing 30,000 bucks on one evening is really as wise of an investment, because it's not about the relationship, it's about the party. As wise of a relationship as it is to buy the house, to invest in the future. And those are the choices that we have all the time. We can invest in things that are very, very temporary or invest in things that will last forever. And we just have to choose which we want to do. So let me ask you three questions. What are you in the process of becoming? Number two, what areas of your life are you investing in most? And number three, what goals can you set to help you move more toward being like Jesus?